Welcome to the Machine Intelligence Foundation for Right and Ethics podcast. I'm uh, Mike, and Dave is with me here today. And uh, hello. Yeah, I think we're just gonna talk technology a little bit. Maybe not necessarily machine intelligence. Maybe it will be. Uh, you know, we'll go down that road. Uh, there's always technology stuff to talk about, and uh, it's kind of fun. You know, we got things to talk about. Maybe our last meeting just. For the foundation, I think we spent a good chunk of our we every time we meet we spend a good chunk of our time talking tech in general. So why not share? Well, I mean that is what that's kind of what we do anyway. I mean that's that's what yeah. we think about. It's what we digest every single day. So it kind of is natural that we'd say, "Hey, have you seen this cool thing?" Uh, as a matter of fact, just this morning I saw an article about uh, you know, Microsoft just pulled their underwater uh, test server farm out of the ocean. It was sitting in the in the ocean for two years, and they were just going to test it. Uh, I say I don't remember exactly how many server units they had on there, but apparently only two of them failed in the entire rack set. He said it was 80% less failure rate than uh, in a normal server farm, and they attributed it to two things. One was the nitrogen gas that they injected into the entire container instead of that oxygen, yes. uh, less yeah. uh, corrosion. Uh, the other one was there weren't humans bumping around to dislodge things <laughs> and break things. I, you know, that's that's... That really right there is right up our wheelhouse. I mean, yeah, humans, we kind of break things. It's our job. I think that it should be tattooed across our forehead. I break things. That was honestly the first place my my mind went when you said that they had a low failure rate was, well, no people. <laughs> uh, you know, the fact that you, you could actually put it in a nitrogen environment. I think about, you know, this is kind of sci-fi-esque a little bit, but think if you were to put some kind of repairing mechanism or self-repair system into those kind of environments uh, where you just have it completely self-contained uh, in a non-oxygen environment and it can fix itself. That could you know, really lead to some interesting things. Uh, or for that matter, I mean, think of server farms up in orbit. You go into a solid yeah. state server farm and where you don't have moving parts or anything like that. Cooling certainly won't be an issue. Uh, well, power, cooling power, could be an issue. Uh, too cold is an issue. I space. suppose you could get too cold. No, no, you have an issue with uh, a venting. In orbit, you're you're going to be in the sunlight, and true, there's true. it's a lot harder to radiate the the heat away in a vacuum. Okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, it, I presume that one of the reasons I I haven't read the I saw the article pop up, but I haven't read it yet uh, about the Microsoft uh, farm, but. I presume one of the reasons that they put it underwater was for heat dissipation. Yeah, I think that was one of the main ones is because it can run significantly more efficient because you don't have to run cooling systems or at least less active cooling systems. Right. So you're not running large air conditioning units that and the whole point is to be environmentally friendly and things like that. So, you know, you're instead of running air conditioning units, you're dumping all that heat into the ocean. But I, I suspect it's significantly more environmentally friendly than running an air conditioner. You have to have a heck of a lot of server farms running underwater in order to impact the ocean more than other much more. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Significant man-made issues. <laughs> yes. uh, but, you know, I, I imagine, you know, we're talking about the ramp up of cloud computing, of computing platforms that 
can essentially link together to do things. And a pod like that, as long as you've got the data connection together and the power, you'd have to have the power for it. Um, you could you know, really, you know, okay, think of the Google method of their their server platforms where it's really just these little tiny units that are just completely disposable that you know one goes out you just take it offline and you just replace it with another one and you know, eventually you could do you know pods like that until they reach a certain level of of failure you just keep them online and you shift it to another pod someplace else and then once it reaches a certain failure rate, you can take that pod offline and pull it out and replace it with another one. It is completely modular at that point, which is how server farms have kind of gone anyway. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to see what the the cost would be in terms uh, of power and communication, because obviously you can't you can't use radio or or microwaves to communicate with with underwater server farms. So you've got to run cables. Same thing for power. I could see if it became a real thing, I could see some interesting power power ideas around like tidal power generation being used for them. Yeah, I think but one data the, is always going to be the big deal. Yeah, I think one of the issues was of this is it was part of an uh, kind of an ecological testing platform. I think that they were looking at not one hundred percent certain on this, but I think they were looking at solar and tidal. Or power for these things. I don't know if the test platform actually used that or not, but it, uh, I could see tidal power being huge for something like that. Yeah, yeah. T- tidal power would make sense, assuming it was in a place where it could could use that well. I'm solar would be tricky. You'd have to have an but, outside platform for it, and which you, you almost would have anyway, depending upon your data connection. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, kind were, of like an oil rig platform or something like that. Yeah, but, that's, that's what I was thinking. I was wondering if they could actually get away with reusing. Uh, old oil rigs. I guess it would depend upon where your oil rigs are. Uh, I guess North Sea would be a great place. I think that there's quite a number of oil rigs up in, uh, or at least older oil rigs in the North Sea. The the temperature of the water is fairly cooler, which is what you're looking for. If you were to go someplace like the Gulf Coast or something, I think the water temperature would be too high. Uh, What depth were they at, though? I'm not 100% certain. They did specifically choose a location that had very cold water. Hmm, interesting. Because I, I mean, I'm thinking uh, geological temp, uh, uh, temperatures and you know, how geothermal heating and cooling works. Because you you don't have to go very down down very far in the earth before your temperature gets really stable. And I was wondering if if ocean water is is like that at all, or if it's really dramatically varied. I would assume that if you got down below a certain level in the ocean. It's going to get cold fast, but I don't know what that level would be. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not real familiar with tidal tidal conditions and uh, oceanography in general. So, but yeah, really an interesting concept. Uh, I think that the modular capability of it works well with how river farms have kind of gone anyway. Yeah, it's an interesting concept, and as long as you can overcome what seem like minor hurdles it's not like we don't run cables under the ocean all the time anyway um it it's uh it seems like a pretty good place to to stash a lot of computer power and as long as you can take and make a a distributive system that if something goes offline it can offload that and it you know I mean that's and, that's pretty much Google's infrastructure now already though right so. and I think mo- anybody do doing large cloud-based 
server farms and things like that are using that kind of system. So it makes sense to run this in a modular form. And this is just a way to reduce that cooling. And really, depending upon how it's suspended, how it's maintained, uh, it could be a safer for, uh, location than an on-land server farm just from you know, geological events or man-made events. Fires. I don't or know. Fires, um, yeah. and there, are, there are a heck of a lot of data farms, uh, data centers out near Cooley Dam in Washington State. And just because power is super cheap power's there. Cheap, yeah. And I wonder if they've been impacted by the fires in that area in, in central Washington at all. I haven't actually looked to see just how close they are to those areas. Uh, not something I've looked super close at, but... No, it just now occurred to me, so I wouldn't know either. But that's there. There's lots of things that can go wrong on on land, not least because again, there are a lot of human beings around, and we're known for doing stupid things and breaking stuff. So get yeah. the machines away from the people, and now not that that's not that that's our message as a foundation, but getting yeah, yeah. not that stupid computer. Yeah. Yeah. Not that yeah. stupid getting things can't happen. <laughs> yes, but getting computer hardware away from random day-to-day human events is going to increase its its lifespan, I suspect. Yeah. And, and it seems that the data supports that off of this project. We're 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 hard on computers. I dropped my phone today and panicked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a reason why I put a cover on just about every single one, but. Uh... I didn't yeah, used to. I like I like my phones naked. I used to have an essential PH one, and that sucker was just a beast. It was all titanium and ceramic, and I I do miss that aspect of it. Uh, you know, it's not like you know if we're talking about bad things on land, it's not like bad things can't happen on sea. I mean, I was forced. My family forced me to watch this. I I, I it was arguably the worst movie experience I've ever seen in my life. I was forced to watch Sharknado. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, not like bad things can't happen in the sea. We, we could see shark attacks. But I, I just don't I think so. Point of pride that I have yet to see any of the Sharknado. Is it still oh, a trilogy? <laughs> uh, no, it is well, well, well beyond a trilogy at this point. Uh, no, I, I think you should hold your head up high. I, I have never experienced a <laughs> I will never get that hour and a half back moment more so than than I did after watching that. That is that is I don't want to say high low. What's the opposite of praise? Low. Clearly, it didn't pass muster for you. <laughs> I guess some people think of it more as a uh, of a uh, it's so bad it's good. But no, no, there is a re- there is a point where you reach it so bad it cannot become good. It's that bad. So. I have seen movies like that. I will grant you. Well, no, I mean that's little off the off the technology topic, but uh, they certainly didn't use much technology in making that movie. But anyway, <laughs> hey, that's low budget filmmaking for you. <laughs> other what what other technology? I know we've talked about Neuralink in the past, and I watched the live stream with Musk what a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, I don't think you did. No, I did not see it. I saw a couple of a couple of articles. I've certainly seen a little bit of reaction. I've seen people yeah. say they weren't all that impressed with it. That they, it's like okay, you put some things into a pig, but 
you know, we don't really know what's happening there. There, there was just there. There seemed to have been a well, I'm unimpressed vibe that I'm getting. I but, saw some of that as yeah. well. I don't think that anybody on the Nerling side is claiming that they're doing something totally revolutionary. It's not a new thing to stick probes in a brain. What they're doing is they're doing it better and cheaper. And I, I think one thing that that impressed me is they're they're doing their best to make it as reversible as possible. Because I, as I, I think I mentioned the first time we talked about this is I'm, I'm not going to be an early adopter because you know I'd hate to have Model Two be a lot better than Model One. On the other with, hand, with no way of that, with no way of firmware upgrade, you've got to make sure the right, firmware upgrade uh, is available. On the other hand, if if they're actively looking at making it reversible and upgradable, that's that's a very positive sign, and it it bodes well for earlier adoption by our broader group of of individuals. Obviously, first the first group of people who are are likely to adopt something like this are going to be the people with significant physical disabilities. That this is going to help the most. I, some of the negative feedback, of course, was, "Oh, I'm not going to let Musk put anything in my brain." And I think there is certainly a, a visceral concern about, you know, we hear about hardware being hacked all the time and and this is entirely proprietary hardware. How how do I know what it's doing or what the effect could be? And to some degree I get that. And I think a lot of it is gonna have to just play out and see what the assurances are of security and um what could go wrong and how that can be addressed. Well, I think some of the some of the negative feedback that has come from the presentation kind of stems from Musk in itself, from two points of view. One is you have Musk who's, eh, I mean, for lack of a better term, a little bit of a blowhard at times. I mean, he, he he's yeah. he's very much a self-promoter and, you know, doesn't necessarily wait for somebody to say, yeah, nope, this is good. You can continue on. He's just going to push through on it for, for good or bad. And uh, he pushes back a lot of times and kind of pushes the boundaries. And so you've got people that are saying, well, you know, no, if, if Musk is the one that's pushing this, I'm not certain I want him pushing into my brain because he, he has kind of a, a bit of a reputation of playing fast and loose sometimes. On that same yeah. note, you have the same people that look at it and say, okay, well, this is Musk doing this. We should see improvements in leaps and bounds. We should see something brand new that we haven't seen before. We should see something that really changes things. And when Neuralink did this test, it just showed the incremental progress that they're doing and didn't really show this massive change. And I think that that's where you got people that come and say, oh, well, well, they're really not doing anything new. It's not nearly as much as I expected. On the other hand, they were showing that they were being they were able to pull enough signals off of the brain to effectively predict gross motor function and limb location, which is exactly where he's been talking about pushing it first in terms of helping people with neurological injuries. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, paraplegic quadriplegics giving them limb control again. So it's it was the presentation was really consistent with that message. 
I would agree. I think you just have a lot of people that say, oh, hey, you know, brain implants and memory implants and CPU units that I can essentially integrate with into my brain. But that's not where, I mean, that was kind of a message at one point in time that said, this is where we could end up eventually, but it's not. And, and there's this tendency oh, and to look at that and say, this is where it should be, but that's not where we have to start. And to be fair, Musk couldn't keep his trap shut, and he brought that stuff up during the presentation too. Yeah, he's he's always going to you know keep his his blue sky visions in sight, and he's going to want to bring them up, and he wants to share his excitement about that stuff. So you're always going to get the the down to earthers who are like, oh geez, this this guy again. On the other hand, look who's who's the one really doing it and pushing it forward. Yeah, true. He, he may fail, he may screw something up horribly, but it looks like he's got the necessary safeguards in place when he's talking about doing medical things. So Yeah, I, I see at, at the first stages of the Neuralink, when we talk about a medical, not necessarily medical necessity, but a, a medical implementation of it, it's a continuation of what we've been doing. We already have some systems. They're external instead of internal. We have systems that will read brain out brain output and translate that into artificial limbs, various different things like that. We have things in testing and I believe even some production that can do that. It's just that once you make that interface directly to the brain, it's much faster. It's cleaner. There's uh, less prone to errors, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. I, and there's a little bit of that going on right now. That's why people are saying that, you know, this is nothing new. It's like, because doctors have been putting probes in people's brains. The the thing Musk is doing is just because of the precision, the related machinery is capable of, he can put a lot more probes in so you get much higher resolution i think that's part of the thing too and and i see this as an issue in general with researchers and science reporters is there's a tendency to focus on a single aspect of a technology and not look at how you how you can put all of the bits together different aspects to work faster and more effectively toward a goal. And I think that's what Musk is doing. Musk is saying, okay, we've got you know, neuroscientists working on, on implanting probes. We've got people working on the what is essentially computing hardware to, to build the interface. And we've got roboticists working on the implantation process. And then we're, we even have you know, a highly specialized set of, of animal specialists making sure that our test subjects are taken care of so that we get consistent results and we're able to track this better. It's it's about putting it all together effectively as much as it's pushing any one piece of technology as fast and far as possible. Yeah. Well, which I, the, the descriptions that you were talking about there brings me to the point of you know, we talk about Musk and Neuralink, which really he's the spokesman and he is putting a huge amount of money into this project. 
And but it's not Musk doing this. This is a group of scientists that have a goal in mind and a set goal and standards to maintain during that process. And and it's important to remember that there are standards to follow and processes to follow to make sure that these things are safe. Yeah, and there are more there are more in the medical field than there are in the autonomous vehicle field vehicle field as well too because he's he's definitely gotten in trouble for playing a little fast and loose with auto safety just because there are no standards around or very few standards around autonomous vehicles whereas in general everything he's doing with the human brain has at least some standards around where what you can and can't and shouldn't shouldn't do right yeah oh yeah no it's interesting i i Look forward to the continual progress in Neuralink. Um, you know, I, I think I probably would have been more skeptical of this last presentation if there would have been this, oh, look what we can do now type stuff. I mean, it would have been fun to see, but I certainly would have been a little bit more skeptical of it as opposed to the gradual progress. And I, 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 yeah. I'm pleased that there's gradual progress. Yeah, I mean, there was there was certainly a presentation of look at what what we're doing and this is so great but it was very much in the context of this is all incremental progress right but i i mean it gave me significant expectation that well before the end of the decade we should see people with you know, neural pro neurological issues that are preventing them from controlling their limbs seeing some sort of significant lifestyle improvement because of this which is always a good thing and i, I think that's Kind of what we hope technology will do. It's incremental changes that uh, increases our, our lifestyle and our ability to... What we want to see is technology improving our life and make it and working for the better as opposed to going in the opposite direction. And I th that's, that's just good. That's what we want to see. Yeah, I see there's the potential for downside in Neuralink. Uh, I, there's a lot of places where, where caution is appropriate. And, uh, but yeah, I think there's a huge upside. I uh, hope to see that just as you said. All right. Well, a couple yeah. of heady topics. Should we wrap it up there? Yeah, I, I think we've got, uh, we've uh, kind of delved down the path a little bit of technology and, uh, we, you know, we've talked about yeah. things that are machine intelligence related and you know, at, least, uh, at least, yes, on the, on the edges a little bit, but, uh, uh I think we're kind of at the uh, end of our time for today. All right. Uh, well, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us at the Machine Intelligence Foundation podcast, and we look forward to uh, talking to you later. Bye. Later. Bye. Bye.